Welcome to the Sub Pop Cult Podcast. I'm your host, Michael McGruther. We live in highly politicized times. So politicized that politics has reached its ugly head into every interaction that humans have and placed itself in the center. By placing itself in the center, it becomes tar in the gears of human progress, human happiness, human peace, unity, all the things that truly do belong to the free American people and all around the world who cherish liberty and freedom. So what the system does, it encourages both sides to go to the extreme so that it can occupy the center and be the mediator of every single part of our lives, which is not necessary and everybody knows it. So what we have to do is you have to reject this election season and the presidential election, which is going to be the next two years of our lives will be consumed by it. But you have to embrace that we become the tar in the gears of the system if we occupy the center. Because if we hold up the center and we demand that we are listened to and heard from the center, and we demand that we hold the center because it is rightfully ours, then the system is slowed down. The destruction of liberty crawls now. These things are the breaks that we have as free people is occupying the center. If you ever wanted proof that the pundits work for the system and not for the people they claim to be the voice of, just watch them all discourage you from occupying the center. The closer you get to an election, the more obnoxious the claims are about the people who are centrist. Because centrists recognize the need for nuance when it comes to public policy. And centrists take away from the business model of divide and conquer. We have to be united again. A centrist era has to return. Because the survival of America as the free nation that we know and love throughout history blemishes and all, was built to thrive on this reality that the people are free and can choose their representatives. And in doing so, we maintain the center. And when one side wins or the other side wins, you're usually a center Democrat or a center Republican. And in that center that we all control together, there is nuance and understanding and civility. So a center-right Republican who loses an election to a center-left Democrat, lets them have their time in power, knowing that we have a system of sharing that power, and one side will get it back from the other in the next go. That's not what happens today. There's one power in the center, and it's the government, and the people are divided, and we're never sharing anything with each other anymore except for all the things we dislike about the other guy. And constant dislike and distrust for the other guy is all part of the system's storytelling mechanism, which aims to keep us tuned into its narratives, because its narratives serve the system and not the people. But that is all changing now, because a new sub-pop culture really is possible for the first time. It's been possible for a long time, but it's been successfully held back, kept at bay, 
from really blossoming. And the guest on today's show is a filmmaker that I followed many years ago when he was actually making this film called The Four-Eyed Monsters and releasing it. They did a theatrical release, an online release. They had an online screening inside a virtual game called Second Life, which still exists to this day. And so the storyteller was way ahead of his time and just telling a story about human emotion, searching for love, searching for meaning in a chaotic world. And I tracked him down and added him as a friend on social media. And after a long period of time, he accepted. And we started to talk to one another and I convinced him to come on the show. And if you're a regular listener, you know that I'm all about promoting a sub-pop culture. And part of that is helping you understand how to achieve the goal. So Aaron Crumley is part of the duo that is responsible for the film, The Four-Eyed Monsters. He comes on and he explains a little bit about his creative process, how he made this, this film by just having a desire to make a film because he knew he was capable of it, how he gathered all the people and all the interesting choices that turned into happy accidents that make for, I kid you not, one of the greatest digital films ever made, really a masterpiece in my opinion, The Four-Eyed Monsters. So kick back and listen to this brief conversation I have. He lives in Panama now, so it's a little bit more uh, difficult to connect and remote record a session. We had a little bit of technical difficulty, but some amazing points are made in the next 20 minutes that you're not going to want to miss if you're a creator. So sit back and enjoy this brief conversation with Aaron Crumley. Aaron, welcome to the Sub Pop Cult Podcast. Thank you. How's it going? It's going good. I'm honestly, my fans, people who follow this podcast, I've talked about your movie in the past. I'm super excited to have you on because I think that, uh, as I told you on the phone when we first connected, I think you made probably one of the most important, honest, raw, just incredible low-budget feature films that have that has ever really come out of the the digital filmmaking world since the tools have been available, which is the Four-Eyed Monsters. And I've been dying to talk to you about it. And so let's just get right into it because a lot of people who listen to this podcast, uh, they come in your shadow, they follow in your footsteps, and they're using even more sophisticated options than you had in 2005. But nobody has captured the kind of raw experience of being a young person having a hard time trying to connect with another human being in a busy, busy world like you guys did. So first of all, congratulations on that achievement. Thank you for all of the kind words. Really appreciate it. Well, I mean it. Um, you know, there's I, I rewatched your film last night and and I've been telling everybody I know to, to watch it in anticipation of hearing us talk about it. So let's just talk a little bit about how a kid from above San Francisco, Northern California, way up there, how you end up landing in New York City and deciding that you're going to make a, a film. Like, how did, this, how did this happen? Because you wear that role of filmmaker so perfectly. Uh, you, you just have a sense of what you're doing with the camera. You're, you and Susan together are the people that Coppola was talking about when he said, one day, young people from 
from the middle of nowhere will pick up a camera and they'll make something that's so beautiful and so artistic. And I, I do believe that is you guys. And uh, we'll get into later how the system hates that and doesn't want anything to do with that kind of success. But how does that journey begin for you? Well, I mean, there, there's a couple ways, there's a couple angles to, to figure out like which, which road did I get on that brought me there? I mean, um, it depends on how far back you want to go. I mean, I mean, initially in, in New York City, I was working as a uh, freelance video producer, and I was going to this uh, one job all the time on the subway um, where I was doing a lot of kind of video editing and stuff, and I just kept thinking uh, like every day. I was, I was listening to my iPod at the time, listening to music, and just kind of looking at the world around me and just getting inspired, and I was just thinking, why, why am I just working for somebody else? I, I could really just do anything that I want. And like, maybe this is my chance to do that. And, and, and maybe I won't have this chance later. Like maybe this is urgent and I just really need to jump on this. And so it kind of took a lot of that like internal pep talking to be like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And and then eventually like, well, once, once, you know, you're like, you've started to shoot a movie, you know, you, it kind of pulls you through to sort of uh, completion I mean, but backing way up, you know, I was interested in stop motion uh, animation as a kid. So I would, um, you know, figure out however I could, you know, to do that. And that was um, hitting record on a, on a VHS uh, recorder and then uh, stopping really quickly before the rewind kind of rode over your last whole set of frames. And then trying to get that timing down so you could kind of, for a split second, record a little piece of clay guy walking around. <laughs> So I was really obsessed with um, animation, went to the animation uh, museum in San Francisco and uh, just wanted to find a way to recreate just what I thought was a crazy illusion of, of magic, like realizing how actually it works. I'm like, oh, well, then let's go make this stuff. So I, I don't know where that comes from. It's just I've always liked making stuff and, and wanted to make things. Um, and I, I happened in New York City to have enough money i thought i didn't really have enough money but i thought i had enough money to make a movie and it was partly because i'd just been hired to make somebody else's movie um all these different really interesting gigs you know had kind of given me great opportunities to uh make make money and one of them was uh hanging out with this um filmmaker from africa and uh just doing all of the cinematography and editing uh while he carried the vision uh, so I was kind of like the tech, you know, make it happen person. So I was looking at it all and, you know, um, realizing that if, if I'm doubting that I can make a movie, I just made a movie, <laughs> you know. And so that was my strategy all along is I, I didn't go to film school. You know, it was always just looking for jobs that would teach me the next thing that I wanted uh, to learn uh, through the, the opportunity of being paid to do it. Well, so you're like sitting there on the subway and you're, you're carrying around with you all the tools to make a feature film and you're making uh, versions of films for other people already. And so you're just, you decide I'm going to make my own now. And, and what would, what would be stopping you would just be self-doubt at this point because you've, you've already shown yourself, you've done it over and over again. So let's give people a little context. We're talking about the year 2003, 2004, I'm guessing before you put the movie out in 2005, correct? Yeah, this this is a, a 2003 moment where we decided that uh, 
you know, my filmmaking partner and I, and we were in a relationship together, we decided that we were going to um, do this. I mean, that was the other part of it that really had to kind of come together for me because I knew I was going to depend on her completely, uh, you know, for the story and for figuring out really how we're going to make this be like a collaborative expression. So I also, while trying to, um, you know, like get over this, like you're going to do this, you're going to do this while getting over that hump, uh, we decided to make a couple short films. Um, so I said, I'm not going to, uh, help you at all. Uh, you're totally on your own because, you know, uh, I didn't have filmmaking training. I just had video production experience. She didn't have filmmaking training. She just had, um, an art degree. So, so we were kind of coming from different backgrounds, but we wanted to blend what we brought to the table. Uh, but I didn't want to carry the entire thing on the, on the technical and creative front. So I wanted to kind of get out of the way and say like, you just make a thing. And uh, also, I'm just going to make a thing, and I'm not going to ask for any of your help or creative input either. So we made our totally separate things, and then, uh, you know, hers got into some film festivals. Mine got completely re- rejected. <laughs> so we, we, we had these we had these shorts, but I was happy with what what we made, anyways. I like it, it was it was a great exercise. And after that, I was like, okay, there's no reason that we can't equally creatively bring to the table what's going to carry us through. And there's no technical problems. So, yeah, really, you know, it's a question of time and in, in, in life and how are we going, how long is this going to take? And that's where I was way off. But, you know, I'd saved up money making like sometimes $150 an hour by managing huge teams uh, on these big video events where, um, you know, the, 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 the client's like, sure, take, take whatever rate you need. We're just happy that you're saving us thousands of dollars by doing it with, um, lower budget equipment we were matching what they would typically have gone to a huge you know uh, production house to accomplish and i was just going into b bnh video it's an, an amazing video store in new york i yes. would go there sometimes every day just like going there talking to the technicians and just learning and, and being trained really by so by, you know by so you've always so you've always been an insurgent against the system without even knowing it uh <laughs> you know by going in and cutting people short you know you know you know I said to you on the phone, oh, my dogs are going to make an appearance right now, apparently. Uh, I said to you on the phone that, you you know, you guys were a terrifying uh, reality that nobody wants to see flourish because to have the attitude of, I didn't go to film school, um, I just take the stuff off the shelf, nothing's going to stop me, why not? And and to take the the real dive into creativity and, be able, and just going your separate ways and, and trying to better your skills by making indie films, all that stuff is like revolutionary way of approaching filmmaking. And then the end product that you come out with is stunning in my opinion. And when I, when I said context, I really meant to give people context a little bit about the story, the basic premise of the story and correct me if I'm wrong, because I see it as the audience member is the extreme difficulty that young people have connecting one another and finding true love. So a timeless story, but technology makes it even harder, puts even more distance between people. And so you use these ingredients and this was way before online dating was normalized. I got to tell you, one of the favorite clips, one of the favorite pieces of dialogue in your movie, I have it saved and queued up. I'm going to play it for you right now. I have a great tight pussy. I can make lasagna. I mean, 
Do you remember that scene? Um, I didn't hear it. So can you just oh oh tell okay. me, tell Sorry, me again what it was? All right, so it's your character. So this is pre-online dating is, is normalized. Your character, who is you, is looking through videos of other girls at a moment when you're having some some distance between Susan and you guys are having your your difficulties. And one of the girls in her online video says, "I'm really smart. I have a super tight pussy, and I can make lasagna." and now that sounds vulgar. That sounds super vulgar just coming out of my mouth right now. It doesn't sound like, you know, what is this? It's brilliant. It's a brilliant line. It's the absolute desperation of wanting to be loved and just checking off the box things that you think the other person wants in this detached animal society. Those little things, which may be your happy accidents or your intention, those set your film apart, those little moments like that, and they turn it into what I call – the reason I, I say what you made is basically a, a masterpiece because it is raw emotion capturing loneliness and disconnect in ways that nobody saw before until you guys did it. And it's fascinating to me that you did it blind. You know, You didn't have an agenda other than let's not stop. You know, so that to me is is pretty incredible. And your insurgency with lowering the cost of how to how to uh, achieve some publicity and people getting excited about it. It's no wonder you meet huge headwinds. You're a dangerous guy. Um, well, you know, we, we didn't do it alone, you know, so that that um, actress and also uh, we found that actress through our acting coach and he was on set like giving her coaching because what we actually wanted to do was um, improvise a movie because uh, we actually, like I had actually studied screenwriting. So I did actually take um, three screenwriting. I took the same screenwriting course in junior college three times. Um, But I actually, I don't know. So the movie that I shot before this for, for that other filmmaker, we also didn't have a script. So I was really interested in, um, what if you didn't have a complete blueprint of everything you were going to do clacked out on the page and then did it, but instead took this approach that I was always taking in, in my, any video project I'd ever done. Cause I'd done some different short documentaries and things of just looking for it and, and capturing it be, before you make it fake, before you make it artificial or performed. You know, I was coming from this philosophy that um, the camera is so incredibly accurate in what it captures, um, and the audience is so powerful. Like you said, you know, if, if you're right, you're you can't be wrong as the audience. In my opinion, the, the audience is completely correct in whatever they they, they see in, in a movie. And if you, you know, my belief is that you, if you show a picture of a person pretending to walk across the room because they need to get something over there, what will be perceived by the audience is a person, um, you know, seeing a person pretending to walk across the room. So this kind of zero acting, um, philosophy is to, um, get to the point where every single thing that happens is actually authentically happening because, uh, that is what they want to do. And, uh, in order to do that, you have to make the cameras as invisible as possible. While we were working with technology that really for the first time that was actually possible. So we could, we could make, that the, the cam, you know, the camera was so small, we could make that be like a non-factor, and then we were trying to just always make the situations so comfortable, so real and normal 
that we forgot all about that. And yet it is a, it is a performance. It is a construct. We're making a movie. So there's no way around that. But how, how do we get everybody to just kind of like get all of this sort of, um, uh, the, the, the formality and the kind of poise out. So it's just as real as possible. And, and so we didn't script those, those lines that you played. I mean, that's just the actress coming up with stuff for probably about 45 minutes. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of, uh, now and then saying things, the acting coach is making little suggestions and he's there because she's comfortable with him. You know, he's like her, uh, guru teacher. So I, you know, we, we wouldn't have been able to do that without, without that arrangement, you know, me and, and my filmmaking partner, Susan, like, well, we were in a relationship. So we were our own comforting um, uh, support uh, that just felt normal. We're just, it's just like, this is like a normal day. You know, we're always doing stuff and hanging out. And then I brought in my um, friend, my, you know, for, since high school, I was, I was friends with this um, music producer. Uh, and, and he's like, well, I, I don't know anything about making movies. He's like, I know zero about making movies. I'm like, I know, but you know, you, you've you've been at my um, you know shows because I used to like perform music and he would do the sound mixing like and, and he mixed my whole album when I was in high school I was you know with a group of people we all made a, this music together and, and he he mixed it I was like you know how to make everything better and you make aesthetic decisions that improve anything that you're you're involved with unfortunately he's he's passed away so this is the late Andrew Peterson um, but you know, it was really important to have people that I trusted because I'm in the thing as well. And it's also about, you know, it's like semi-autobiographical. So I constantly leaned on any kind of uh, footing or, or grabbed hold of any kind of ledge that could pull uh, myself up. And it was really about all of these other people. Um, and And the fact that I could kind of show them like, look, we're not not making a film. Okay. So that, you know, have faith. That was the, 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 that is a hurdle, but fortunately um, that's established because they, they knew, they all knew that we could make a movie and that, that, that technically this is possible. And they were all actually amazed by that because like, it, I don't think it would have been possible today to bring in the kind of New York city talent that we found to get involved in this project, just waving around the I know how to make a video and edit it card, but at that time in, in that in that year, it 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 was like I mean we we sat in this acting studio where we basically found anybody who was a supporting role in, in the whole thing pretty much, and we we met with the um the the lead teacher there the coach Brad Calcutta an amazing creative mind, um and and basically pitched what we wanted to do we'd never taken, I mean I did a little bit of theater but you know never took formal acting classes like what they do at that at that studio we had already made you know half the movie or more actually we'd all we'd made a version of the entire movie so but it was missing all these other supporting characters and scenes we knew we needed so this was the other thing is that we just moved it along like one step at a time okay now we got through the part that we can do but we're still not there what do we need what do we need to do we need to find people we sat down with him and uh we we pitched what we wanted to do and, 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 and he acted like this was just the faded thing he'd always dreamed of, that some filmmakers were going to come walking in the door and just start putting their actors in stuff. So he's like, absolutely anything that you need, like, let's do it. And so all of these little wins along the way, my friend being willing to come out, he actually slept on our floor 
because there wasn't really any space in this in this empty kind of space. Well, it's it's, it's like a, a loft, you know, so it's not like there's different rooms, you know. So it's like he came and he just started crashing there for four months. He lived out there. Uh, and so he could operate the camera or he could uh, look at our edits with us and give his input. Um, and then around the time that was like, okay, that's the max we can really get from that support. We then came to that acting studio and then we got uh, all, of, all of that help. And we eventually, you know, hired a, um, a cinematographer because we're like, okay, none of the people we just hand a camera to really do the level of cinematography that we need for these few key things where we like, why don't we ever have good lighting? Why does all of our lighting suck in every single scene? So we kind of reshot a few scenes with that cinematographer, uh, as well as added some that were harder, uh, that, that required like a larger space. So all of these, you know, we just kind of kept breaking it down and improving it and workshopping it and turning it into little individual, um, challenges that could, that could push us ahead. And, and also all of these people were training us. So it's like what I was doing with the freelance work where I was like, why don't I take a job that, that I get to learn something from? So every single person that we brought in, like massively trained me up. And, and, and now that all of the acting coaching that I, that I learned from, from that teacher, I, I was able to do and, 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 and be directing in the way that, that, that uh, he would kind of steer uh, the actors and to help them explore more of what they can do. And then uh, Bri Thomas Sanders, the cinematographer I'm talking about, we had a bunch of other cinematographers as well, but he was like kind of the biggest contributor. Uh, he starts putting lights here and lights there, and he's using our lighting kit augmented by his. And I'm like, I didn't know I could use my lighting kit this way. Okay, cool. <laughs> and so, it, so by the time we then had to kind of still on our own reshoot a few things, we just had leveled up completely during the process and deleted anything that sucks too bad because it was made kind of earlier um, or kept it in in some cases because it was like, well, that's a, this is a spunky thing, you know, like it works, you know, it's, 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 it's pushing the story. So whatever. And, and so I think in the end it is a very eclectic mix of aesthetics and, and uh, camera choices and, you know, sometimes grainy, uh, lower quality stuff. Uh, some, sometimes things like, I don't know, one or 2% of the film, just things we just took off of our tiny little mini DV cameras that were just literally, uh, personally produced and just, you, the, the, we, we, we didn't know we were making a movie during a few of these. You just added films. them. You added them to the, you just added them to the film. I have to, I have to tell you something. Uh, you know, I understand that the actress improvised the scenes, and I know that you were learning as you go and building the house as you saw the rooms, you know, being necessary. But what you and Susan did together is you created the situation for all these wonderful things to happen. And so creating the situation is the great talent. The great talent isn't a guy who can film a fight sequence so realistically that you really believe the guy's jaw was knocked out. That's not the great talent. The great talent is setting up the situation so that can occur. And so you have that. You and Susan together had that. Uh, that was every card you were holding was creating these situations where people could meet you halfway and get to this magic. So when you went in and got your cast from the acting class, like all that stuff is phenomenally just brilliant and respectable and way ahead of its time. And I do think that you created the mold because I had a, a director on here. I apologize this time of day. We weren't supposed to be recording and now my lawn's being cut um, hmm. right outside my studio window. So I apologize if you hear that. 
uh, there's a kid who listens to this podcast who I had on here who's made a lot of feature films and all of his films, and he's way younger than you, uh, all of them are improvised. He has no script whatsoever, but he just keeps hitting these great moments and he comes up with these situations that are that are wonderful. So that's what you guys did that is so mind-blowing. And people who, who know that that's a danger to the system absolutely don't want guys like you to succeed. There's, there's some efforts that come after your film is completed after all these amazing people jump on and after you take the the uh virtuous path of you know meeting somebody who has more skills than you and saying how can i absorb them and use them in this thing we're making as opposed to a battle of who's the more talented guy like that's you're a natural so that stuff is is uh that's lightning in a bottle what you guys captured right there and why I enjoy watching your movie over and over and over again is it's it's like Field of Dreams in a way. It takes me to a place. Uh, it takes me to a certain place and time that I know and that I'm familiar with. And it's not always just because I went to an acting class in Soho in the 90s in New York and I know that vibe. It's something else, something mysterious. And you can't do that unless you guys create the situation. And that's what you did. So I think that is a, a huge huge achievement and why I want more and more people to see your film. It should age like fine wine where people start to realize, wow, this is the beginning of the digital filmmaking revolution done authentically, organically, and for all the right reasons. And uh, so, you know, I could go on all day about how many different ways I like the film. When I was born, the child is stone set forth upon my heart was closed to many things My heart was closed to love But love would make me human And love would make me pure And love would leave me naked and afraid Child of dust, I wanted to 
believe That God alone in heaven Could my tiny soul perceive But age and wisdom came to me In the void's unquiet gaze Thank you.